voice of minnesota it is the wednesday edition of fyi politics with brett johnson well you just heard on that weather forecast a few moments ago from sasha that you can support our eat local minnesota restaurants and well we do have an update with restaurants regarding uh, the governor's new restrictions that we'll talk more about later on in the show but essentially uh, restaurants beginning saturday are going to be able to operate outdoors at about 50 percent capacity so certainly some uh, changes there. We'll have much more on those coming up a little bit later on the show. But first, we are going to be speaking with Patrick Kulikan. He is the editor-in-chief at the Minnesota Reformer, as they recently put out just an incredible piece of investigative journalism. Matt talked about it a lot on his show yesterday. The title of the piece is The Bad Cops, How Minneapolis Protects Its Worst Police Officers Until It's Too Late. And there are just some shocking revelations in this piece with how uh, police uh, mistreated uh, people that they arrested. Uh, several examples. Uh, some of those include there was a man whose face was broken, charged with nothing more than underage drinking. Yeah, face was broken even though he was charged with underage drinking. We also have another example, Officer Heather Sterzinger, who in 2012 roused a woman who had passed out in the atrium of her own apartment building with the pressure point maneuver. 2016, we had two police officers who both punched and handcuffed a drunk man in the face, breaking his nose and possibly causing a traumatic brain injury. 2002, Bob Kroll, now president of the police union, failed to report for nearly two weeks that an officer under his supervision drunkenly fired his weapon over the head of another officer at a shift party. Those are just a few of the examples that you can find in that piece over at the Minnesota Reformer website, minnesotareformer.com. So, Patrick Kulikan, really happy to bring you back on the show and certainly quite a piece that you guys released yesterday. Thanks. Uh, Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So as I was reading through, it sounds like this story that you guys wrote yesterday has been a long time in the making. In fact, a little over a year and even before the Minnesota reformer came into existence, correct? That's right. So there's a a local independent journalist named Tony Webster who uh, requested these documents. They uh, by law, they should be public documents, and therefore he has a right to them. He asked for them in October of 2019. What he wanted was all the disciplinary files of Minneapolis police officers. We weren't even in existence, as you said. We we came around in January. Then the uh, the Floyd incident happened, and I turned to uh, Max Nesterak, our deputy editor, and I said, you know, let's, let's figure out what is going on inside that police department. Now, at that time, uh, Tony was engaged in litigation with the city to, to get those documents that he was owed. They were fighting him on it. He sued them. As part of the discovery process, he began to get some documents, uh, not nearly uh, what he is owed, but he, had, he has received some of them. And uh, Tony has been a contributor to, to us since we uh, got off the ground in January, and uh, he's a great champion for, for open records, for public records, even though... He's really just a part-time journalist. It's, it's, it's not really ever been his full-time job. But I said, you know, let's let's marry uh, Max's efforts. He was looking at the police department after the Floyd incident and Tony's uh, records, and let's uh, really see if we can understand what's happening inside the police department and why these incidents keep occurring. And uh, what we found, I mean, you, you mentioned some of the more shocking incidents. But there's also uh, really institutional failure. They're, they're, they're very often aware of bad police officers. They're not taking action. Um, it takes them years to uh, to investigate. Um, and when they when they do investigate, uh, they're often uh, there are investigative failures. Uh, they they will uh, after these delays, even when they deliver some kind of discipline. Of course, they're. The union will uh, will grieve them, and then they go into arbitration, and 
some of that's been talked about. Um, but what we found also was that uh, the department is not doing a good job um, really with follow through, and and it's some of their own mistakes that lead to uh, the unions being able to grieve these officers back into their jobs uh, or arbitrators reinstating them. Um, so as you said a pretty big investigative undertaking, um, but I think it's pretty definitive that there's serious problems with the Minneapolis Police uh, Department's disciplinary system. Yeah, absolutely. And in that open, I only just scratched the surface on some of the issues that you guys brought up in that piece over at minnesotareformer.com. And to be honest, you guys haven't even gotten all of the records that you requested, where Minneapolis still hasn't released some of the things that you guys have been requesting. And as you brought up, it took a lawsuit to even get access to these things. And even when you got some of these records, I think I was reading that they were very disorganized, which was very time-consuming to actually piece together what happened in a lot of these cases. So it's unbelievable being that, well, the Minneapolis Police Department is obviously, well, a public police department. So is the city of Minneapolis, also a public entity. And you guys had so much trouble accessing these records, even though you would think with open records laws that we would be able to access all of this information rather easily. But that certainly was not the case. Right. I mean, this is supposed to be one of the most progressive cities in America. And they have fought us, and Tony in particular, uh, every step of the way, uh, right up to the end. Um, And, you know, a simple request. Uh, of, for instance, uh, the story, you know, what we did was we sort of told the story of the Minneapolis uh, Police Department disciplinary system through an officer named Blaine Leonard, uh, who, um, as we detail in the first scene of the story, uh, through this essentially really pointless traffic stop where uh, there was a kid in the back seat who was 18 years old, got, he was eventually convicted of underage drinking, but he wound up with a broken jaw after Brennan Leonard uh, kicked him at least once and maybe seemingly more than that. Um, but uh, um, what we had wanted to, I mean, we had, there were, they did not give us all the records on Blaine Leonard. Uh, we, we knew there were other disciplinary incidents um, because, because of our other reporting. And they just, and we said, you know, <laughs> just give us the Leonard records we we have some of them just finish the job and give us all of them and they didn't they refused to and then and then yesterday as it turns out the story runs and they they handed over the records the Leonard records yesterday wow. so we'll have a follow-up but i mean it's just that and then and then you you know if you actually depending on who you ask at the department of the city they don't even seem to know how many open complaints or open disciplinary investigations there are um and it's just kind of astounding, um, and I think it's a, a basically a lack of scrutiny um, that has gone on for a long time. And, and of course, that's uh, to me it's bitterly ironic, given how much power we give to to police, to local police officers, and, and local police departments. So just to back up, when you were having trouble accessing these records, was it the case where the city was saying, no, you can't have these things? Or was their whole system so disorganized that, as I think you were alluding to, oftentimes they didn't even know how many complaints they had or where to find them? Uh, Talk about that a little bit in terms of uh, what the city was telling you and when you were trying to access some of these some of these files. They're just not responsive, and it's it's not really clear why. The law is very the law is clear um, about what they're supposed to do, but they are involved in this litigation with Tony Webster, and I think it's been an ongoing uh, negotiation with him about what they're going to release uh, for the d- discovery part of the the litigation. Um, but um, and so uh, it's sort of just a, a an ongoing negotiation. Um, and I guess until the judge orders them, uh, which will happen, by the way, um, they, um, they have the records and we don't. Um, but, uh, uh, it's, we think it's against the law and, uh, and we think we're going to get all those documents eventually. But even the documents that we did get, um, I think we're, we're quite revealing. 
and I'm sure as your reporting becomes more and more well-known now, I'm sure there's going to be other media outlets in towns that are probably going to also be making requests to the city of Minneapolis. So, yeah, you wonder if the floodgates are going to eventually open with some of these court orders and more public pressure and other media organizations requesting data that, yeah, you would think that maybe they would finally release some of these things that you guys have been requesting for months and months and months. I would hope. And that's certainly, I mean, that's sort of the reason, one of the reasons that, that we have pursued this so aggressively, really, uh, with the idea that, uh, other media would follow, um, and that, uh, we can get some momentum here, um, to, to really get inside that, look, look inside that police department and find out what's really happening. So after you released your uh, report yesterday, or perhaps even before you released your report, uh, has there been any response from the Minneapolis Police Department or the city itself or the police union to uh, what you reported on yesterday? We, uh, um, about a week and a half ago, we approached uh, the city and the police department and said, uh, we laid out, you know, this, this is the story. They, they know that we've been working on something. I don't know that they, they understood the extent of it, uh, but we, we gave them, there was no blindsiding at all. It was, they, they were given, uh, five working days, uh, to determine a response, to make the mayor and or the police chief available. Um, they declined to, um, on, on Friday, they said they were not going to be able to make the police chief available for an interview. They did, uh, they did say that we could send questions. We sent questions on Monday morning. And by the way, they, they said that it, their deadline was 5 p.m. Friday. They they got back to us at 6 p.m. Friday. They said, send us questions. We sent them questions at 9 a.m. on Monday, and then they had no response. They didn't even give us a statement, and um, and then and then just nothing. Um, and I don't know. I, I guess this is just a sign of uh, I don't know what that is, uh, where they they feel they don't they shouldn't have to to answer to this. Maybe we're too small. They figure we're small and. Nobody's going to notice or read the, read us. Um, I mm-hmm. think they're mistaken about that. I oh, think yeah. that I mean I know just looking at the numbers, we we have a lot of readership, and um, the response has been uh, really significant. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with that idea, yeah, that there are a lot of people certainly uh, interested in this story, and hopefully uh, that continues as as the days go on and people go on and uh, and read about this and. Just to point this out again, you guys did reach out to the city of Minneapolis and the police, so no one can go out there and accuse, well, this is just a one-sided story. You gave them a chance to give their own response and heard nothing from them, it sounds like. Right. And, you know, I think if you, if you read the story, you see that we do quote the chief uh, quite a bit uh, from very previous media appearances and so forth. Um, I don't think anybody could say that we didn't, we were not fair in our treatment here. Um, and, and certainly gave them lots of uh, opportunity to respond. Um, it's it's just not uh, not our place to tell them uh, how they should respond or whether to respond. Um, but I'm a little I'm a little shocked, uh, frankly, that uh, that they would they would do that. Yeah, especially with what you reported on yesterday. Like I've said a couple times already, I just I mean, you and I have only scratched the surface on what's in the entire piece that you can find over at minnesotareformer.com. I want to bring in our producer, Sasha, who uh, had a question for you, too, as well, Patrick, in terms of uh, this reporting. So, Sasha, go ahead. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Brett. So I just wanted to chime in and make a point that is not my own, but I've heard this before. Uh, I wanted to bring up the fact that this is kind of a period when the police department uh, is starting to show some signs of um, unprofessionalism at the very best. Uh, and I think there's a little level of apathy that, say, Minneapolis police officers could be feeling because there's a point the city council's uh, starting to vote on uh, – the defunding of the police department. I mean, after the George Floyd incidents and all of uh, the other um, indiscretions of the police department, uh, there's there's just kind of uh, there's a lot of signs out there pointing to the incompetencies of the police department. So maybe this is just they might be resigned mm-hmm. to this role. And I mean, I'm just speculating here, but this is no certainly not a secret anymore that. 
the police department is dysfunctional. Yeah, I mean, I think, and it's also worth pointing out that that more than ninety percent of the officers don't live in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so how invested are they really um, in the department? Um, and and certainly, um, I think that that Art Knight, the deputy chief, was was recently demoted for saying, you know, if we don't do something about our recruiting, we're going to just have the quote same old white boys unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that drew the ire of, of the union. Uh, um, and, uh, and and Knight has also said that he he thinks that between three and six percent. This is he's quoted in our story saying this: between three and six percent of the officers don't belong on the force um, because they're bad and they're undisciplined. Um, but you know, I think organizations can be can be taken hold uh, by a kind of contagion, a virus. And um, I think what we found, one of the things that we found in our our reporting was uh, the the so-called blue wall of silence, which you know, I mean, it's it's I guess it's so common and so cliche that it's you know it's the stuff of movie plots. But um, you know, we certainly found example after example when when undis- when there's undisciplined behavior or misconduct, and nobody seems to have seen anything and. And so that's what I mean, how, how bad, poor behavior, undisciplined behavior can become contagious, um, and it can really take over an entire organization. And, and the behavior that we saw in, in the aftermath of the George Floyd, to say nothing of the George Floyd incident itself, but in the aftermath, where they're just indiscriminately uh, firing weapons into crowds. Uh, you know, there's the infamous moment where uh, out of a driver's side window, uh, or uh, they sprayed mace at a peaceful protesters uh, they just looked like they just had no discipline um mm-hmm. and 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 i think that's uh, that comes through in our reporting and and if you believe reports about the department really pulling back and um and i, I think you use the word apathy i don't i can't speak to it and, and, uh, but the signs are not good right now for for the department encourage everyone to go check out that piece over at minnesotareformer.com the title of it the bad cops how minneapolis protects its worst police officers until it's too late it's a lengthy read but well worth your time with some uh, very shocking reporting from that piece so check that out over at minnesotareformer.com uh, patrick one more thing i want to highlight this was another uh, big story and that is that the minnesota board of pardons which is a three-person panel comprising of governor Tim Walls, Attorney General Keith Ellison, and Supreme Court Justice, State, State Supreme Court Justice, rather, Lori Gildea, uh, they all decided yesterday that uh, Mayan Burrell's sentence is going to be commuted. Now, if you don't remember, uh, several years ago, he was convicted in the killing of 11-year-old Taisha Edwards. This was a big story in the local news media back in the early 2000s, and he was convicted over some questionable circumstances and questionable witnesses, and now he has been uh, commuted by this uh, Minnesota Board of Pardons. So what were we hearing from the three people who were part of this panel in terms of why they decided to uh, commute the sentence of Mayan Burrells? Well, uh, as you as you might know, I think we may have talked about last week, uh, the Innocence Project released a report last week uh, that said... Um, a couple things. One, that there's no point in him serving any more uh, time in prison um, because they he, they think that uh, it just wouldn't serve any purpose. Um, he's had a, a kind of conversion and he's been a, a, a model prisoner. But in any case, uh, even setting that aside, um, they raise questions about the conviction and, and his actual uh, his guilt uh, or lack thereof because he's uh, always maintained his innocence. And there are certainly um, some serious problems with that prosecution um, that were raised in that report. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they they commuted his sentence. Um, he served 18 years, and I think they commuted it to 20, but uh, let him out, and he'll uh, serve the rest um, in some kind of alternative arrangement. And then, but I think that that the investigation will continue, and. Uh, they, they said they were not able to draw any firm conclusions in the report because they didn't have enough information from the Hennepin County attorney. Once they do, and if uh, Attorney General 
Ellison um, does some more investigation here, we could wind up with uh, with an exoneration. Wow, yeah. So we'll have to follow along as uh, even though Burrell is going to be released from prison, yeah, it's still not going to be the end of the story as uh, there's still going to be a lot more investigating in terms of why he was locked up in the first place under uh, very questionable circumstances. Hey, we've been, we've been speaking with Patrick Kulikan, editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Find a lot of their great reporting over at minnesotareformer.com. Patrick, as always, appreciate the time today. Good to be here. Thanks. All right, we'll take a break and come on back with more. we got lots more news to talk about. We're going to expand a little bit more on that piece in The Reformer talking about bad cops and how Minneapolis protects its worst police officers. And we'll give you an update on some of the restrictions that have been lifted by Governor Walls with COVID-19. So stick with us here on FYI Politics. Hi, it's Tom. Solar power is more important than ever as a long-term investment for yourself and your community. And that's why I trust All Energy Solar to provide a cost-effective, environmentally friendly energy system. But several key incentives that make solar available will be sunsetting in 2021. So now is the time to get your solar project on the books. All Energy Solar can walk you through the process using their zero-contact virtual evaluation process. Financing options are available to those who qualify. So go green and start saving at allenergysolar.com today. Do you believe in ghosts? Ever wondered if aliens from other planets visit the Earth? Have you ever thought about whether Bigfoot is real? My name is Greg Bakken, and on my new show, Ghost Box Radio, we'll have these conversations about the paranormal, ufology, Bigfoot, or just the unusual, bringing together guests who are experts in these fields. Join me every Sunday at 4 p.m. for Ghost Box Radio with Greg Bakken on AM 950, even if you're a skeptic. Food Freedom Radio is generously supported by Seward Co-op, now offering the safety of full-service contactless shopping at both the Franklin and Friendship stores. Seward Co-op has dedicated pickup times for first responders, seniors, and those with compromised immune systems. Visit seward.coop and learn more about delivery provided by Soddenberg's Floral and Gifts, in addition to curbside pickup. It's that safe and easy. That's seward.coop slash to go. Seward.coop slash to go. Have Next Chapter Booksellers help you find the perfect gift for this holiday season. Right now, you can schedule an in-person appointment and browse the selection of the season's best books. Their expert staff can make personal recommendations for everyone on your list. Plus, Next Chapter Booksellers sells games and puzzles to help you through these long winter months. Book your in-person appointment today by calling 651-225-8989 or visit nextchapterbooksellers.com. Thanks to all who've become members of AM950. You've helped ensure AM950 will stay on the air through 2021. It's simple to become a member. Go to am950radio.com, click on the membership button, and sign up. Through the holidays, become a new member with either a $25 one-time donation or a $10 recurring donation, and AM950 will read a special message from you on the air this holiday season. If you make a $50 one-time donation or a $25 recurring donation, you'll get a copy of the first-ever AM950 calendar. Head over to am950radio.com for more information, and thank you very much for your support. These days, our home is the center of our world. This is Gregory Rich, founder of Habitation Furnishing and Design and host of Drink in the Style right here on AM 950. If we're all going to be spending a lot more time at home, doesn't it make sense to make your space the most attractive and most functional space it can be? At Habitation, my experienced, degreed interior design staff can help you select the perfect furnishings for your home and your lifestyle. Furniture is more than one size fits all, and there's more to making a room work than a couple of chairs and a sofa. Whether it's a modular sectional carefully selected to maximize your living room or the perfect bed, dresser, and nightstand combination to create your dream bedroom, Habitation can help you achieve the space you've always wanted. So check us out online at habitationdesign.com or schedule an appointment at our Adina showroom. Habitation Furnishing and Design. Make your home exceptional. AM 
850, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're back on FYI Politics with Brett Johnson. Uh, we'll get you an update on new COVID guidelines that have put in place by Governor Tim Walz coming up in our final segment of the show in uh, just a few minutes. But I do want to touch a little bit more on this reporting that the Minnesota reformer did on police officers in Minneapolis and some of the very egregious misconduct that have uh, befelled the agency. So, from the Reformer article, I'm going to read some of this verbatim because there's really no other way to unpack what's being reported other than just, well, basically reading from this because there's a lot there and it's very, very shocking. So let's get right into it. Here's a couple of examples from the Reformer's piece. There's Officer Heather Stairzinger, who in 2012 roused a woman who had passed out in the atrium of her own apartment building with a pressure point maneuver, according to disciplinary documents. Stairzinger allegedly kneeled on the woman's back until she could not breathe and then dragged her out by her handcuffs. Stairzinger then pulled down the woman's dress so one of her breasts was exposed as she was put into the back of a squad car and laughed when the woman asked her to pull the dress back up, according to documents. Stairzinger never reported her use of force, nor did her partner. The department only investigated this case after the woman filed a complaint. A year and a half later, Stairzinger was suspended for a grand total of 10 hours. That's it. 10 hours. She is now a sergeant and is also accused in an ongoing lawsuit against the city for creating a hostile work environment for a Japanese-American police officer. Continuing along, then there's officer Tyrone Bars, or Barzi, who while working off-duty at a Minneapolis bar in 2014 sprayed the bar manager in the face at close range with a party can of chemical irritant intended for crowd control and effective as far as 18 to 20 feet away. The spray hit several other people standing outside the bar. He allegedly told the bar manager that he would arrest him if he did not pay him for his off-duty shift. Nearly three years after the incident, the case was resolved. Barzi was suspended for a grand total of 10 hours and prohibited from working off-duty at places that sell alcohol for 90 days. By the way, he is now a sergeant in the department. That's not the end of it. I got more of these to go through. Then there's officers Peter Brazeau and Alexander Brown, who both in 2016 punched a handcuffed drunk man in the face breaking his nose and possibly causing a traumatic brain injury. The officers also put a spit hood over his face and then an EMT injected him with ketamine. Doctors had to intubate him to keep him breathing according to arbitration records. Now, just backing up to this whole idea of ketamine, you might remember us talking about this a few years ago at the station. This is a heavy duty drug that should not be administered to anyone unless it's an absolute emergency. In fact, I even remember when our conservative caller Randy in Coon Rapids told us about his experience of ketamine when I think he broke his leg and they administered this drug to him. And Randy basically said it felt like he was dying when he was on this drug. And this person was given ketamine all because, well, he was drunk in public. And then all of this happened to him where he was punched in the face, had a traumatic brain injury, and then was injected with ketamine. And, well, the medical professionals had to do yeoman's work to get him breathing again. When asked at a disciplinary hearing, Brazo said he would not do anything differently. More than two years after the incident, police chief Arredondo fired both of the officers. But in the intervening years, they were promoted to training officers, a mitigating factor cited by the arbitrator in deciding to overturn their terminations. Brazeau is still currently an officer, while Brown's status is unclear. I touched on this one briefly in our conversation with uh, Patrick Kulikan. This has to do with everyone's favorite cop, Bob Kroll. 
So in 2002, Sergeant Bob Kroll, who, of course, is the head of the police union, he failed to report for nearly two weeks that an officer under his supervision drunkenly fired his weapon over the head of another officer at a shift party. Kroll was demoted for 90 days, according to discipline documents. The city did not provide the investigatory file related to this incident, and it's unclear if it was challenged by the union. Those are just a few examples of just some egregious conduct by Minneapolis police officers. There are lots more in this piece you can find over at minnesotareformer.com. If I may, I just want to intervene. I just want to jump in and say, I mean, this is just so typical for uh, the complaints that people have against Mm -hmm. the police department. Uh, This is, I mean... This seems like some sort of Wild West and, uh, you know, it's unbelievable. It's absurd. When people say – when people defend these officers and cite the fact that everybody has a bad day, Mm -hmm. uh, well, these bad days play out very differently. If you say, I had a bad day here, um, you know, maybe I forget to record something or I play something early. It's no big deal. Nothing happens. If these officers have some kind of epic bad day, they can just – they can physically harm someone, maybe even just, I mean, severely injure them or kill them. Mm-hmm. And nothing happens. Nothing happens. Yeah. And f- in fact, I'll expand on that in just a few minutes here, Sasha, how nothing happens. But you brought up a good point. If you or I screw up here at the station, we all do every once in a while. It's not a life and death situation. Where if you have a cop, I've said this before on the show, when they have a weapon, a deadly weapon, they can be judge, jury, and executioner all at the same time. And that can be terrifying if you have a negative experience with a police officer, especially if there's basically no recourse, as we brought up in some of these earlier examples, where the extent of punishment with some of these police officers was, what, 10 hours? And then a few years later, it looks like they were promoted to sergeant. Yeah. Now, it, let, yeah, go ahead, Sasha. Yeah, sorry about that. So I just, I mean, and calling these incidents bad days is a little absurd. I mean, I'm just, I'm just so shocked that these officers are even protected legally from liability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you're talking about qualified immunity, correct? I am. I am. Yeah. And it also, maybe it even extends in as far as uh like employment at the station the, uh, like i mean like you said if some if somebody gets gets their nose broken by an officer they just take a day off mm-hmm. you know they, this, the law doesn't seem to apply to them whatsoever the same law that you and i abide by it, it's it's really bizarre And just put yourself in the shoes of someone who interacts with a police officer that's misbehaving and doing something illegal, punching you in the face or dragging you by your hair for whatever reason. Even if you've done something wrong, whether it's public drunkenness, that's not the death penalty or getting severely beat up. The punishment does not fit the crime. And isn't it kind of scary to think about, too, if you run into that where a police officer misbehaves with you? You basically have no recourse, and here's why. So, again, according to the Minnesota Reformer, the Minneapolis Police Department received roughly 1,924 complaints between 2013 and 2019. About 60% of the complaints resulted in either no discipline, coaching, or mediation. 35% resulted in just coaching Only 3% of the cases resulted in any sort of discipline for the officers. The documents detail officers failing to report beating suspects, fighting in bars, yelling racial slurs, and sexually harassing domestic abuse victims. Again, put yourself in the shoes of someone who has a negative interaction with a police officer. You have no recourse if they beat you up, basically. Unless you have it on video, and even then, it's not a guarantee that whatever whatever the police officer did, it's unknown whether the police officer will even face consequences looking at these numbers. Only 3% of complaints result in any sort of discipline. And as we detailed earlier, some of this discipline is nothing. 10 hours of a suspension, that's no disincentive whatsoever to an officer. Just absolutely 
shocking. And just this idea, again, that officers oftentimes are judge, jury, and executioner. Don't forget we give them that power. They have a gun. They can do all three of those jobs, judge, jury, and executioner, and you got to hold them to a higher standard than, let's say, you or me working at a radio station, Sasha, or someone who, let's say, is an accountant or someone who works at a grocery store. You have much more power when you're a police officer. And this other thing that we touched on, this thin blue line, that's another issue as well that was uncovered in the Minnesota reformers reporting. Even if we go with the argument that, let's say, 95% of officers are so-called good cops or 97% of officers are good cops, that's not the type of profession where you can have 3 or even 5% of police officers being bad. I've used this example before. Would you get on an airplane if the airline said, well, you know, most of our pilots are pretty good, but there are maybe a couple of bad apples in there that are into crashing planes. Would you board a plane in that case? I certainly wouldn't. It's not an idea where you can have a couple of bad apples. In a police department, you can't have any. It completely corrupts the culture. And then when you have the idea that we can't cross the thin blue line and call out our other officers, that just exacerbates the problem. I would even go so far as saying when we talk about the idea of good cops, what are they doing to stop the bad cops? Tape. Bob Kroll, for example, we've talked about him many times on my show, Matt's show. I think Robert Pilots touched on him a few times on his show. He was reelected as the head of the Minneapolis Police Union a couple of years ago with, I believe, 70% of the vote. So some of these so-called good cops ended up voting for a horrible police officer in Bob Kroll. So, yeah, while it might be true we have some good Minneapolis police officers that do do a good job doing public work, but... Are you a good cop, though, if you're not going to do anything to call out any of the bad actors within your police department? Another thing to think about with this case. So MinnesotaReformer.com, check out that reporting. MinnesotaReformer.com. Patrick alluded to this, too, in the last segment. I think that quote he brought up from then-Deputy Chief Art Knight is spot on when Art Knight was talking to the Star Tribune, and he said, We have 3 to 6% of cops who should not be cops. That's about 25 to 50 officers based on the size of the department. Knight went on to say, we have some members of this department who shouldn't be here, but the vast majority of them should be here. Oh, by the way, when Knight made those comments to the Star Tribune, uh, he was demoted from deputy chief later in the year after another instance of being too frank when he warned that unless the department changed its recruiting practices, it would wind up with the same old white boys. This guy was demoted. And then we bring up all of these other examples where officers were accused and largely did engage in misconduct, and they either faced little to no discipline or sometimes were even promoted. So, yes, it is possible to have so-called good cops, but is it possible to be a good cop? If you, know, if you know you have bad cops on your force, you know about some of the bad actions they've done, and you've done nothing to stop that, I don't know if I can necessarily define that as being a good police officer. Yeah, I know that's kind of brutal to say, but think about that. If you know a colleague is engaging in police brutality or assaulting people and you're doing nothing about it, well, you're almost just as bad as the assaulter themselves. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. I'm really hoping some other media outlets besides the Minnesota Reformer uh, pick up on this thing, whether it's the Star Tribune, Pioneer Press, or some of the TV stations, because we definitely need much more of a spotlight on what the Reformer's been reporting on with this misconduct at the Minneapolis Police Department. Find all of that report over at minnesotareformer.com. It will take you some time to read through everything. It's a lengthy piece, but well worth your time over at minnesotareformer.com. All right, we're going to take a break and come back and go through uh, some updates on COVID restrictions as Governor Tim Walls has so-called adjusted the dials where some places are going to be allowed to reopen at limited capacity. Also have an update on youth sports. So stick around with us. We'll go through some of these updates on COVID restrictions from Governor Walls up next. We all want and want the bond.
Auto Technical helps families in need of transportation with reconditioned vehicles. Here's Richard with Auto Technical. I'll tell you, my wife told me when we first started, she says, you're going to find this so rewarding. But when people come in and, oh man, give me a second. Take your time. And you just find out how important transportation is. People sometimes break down in tears and can't stop. Learn more at autotechnical.org. Hello, my relatives. My name is Madison Hand, and I'd like to remind you of the ways we can keep each other safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. Right now, COVID cases are higher in number than ever before in our communities, making it more important to follow safety guidelines than ever before. Each individual choice we make will have widespread consequences for all of us. Being safe helps keep people out of the hospital. Help those around you by doing the following. Wear a mask and make sure your mask covers your mouth and nose. Social distance in public as best as you can. Get tested if you are possibly exposed to COVID. And stay home if you feel sick. Remember, our choices directly affect the health of our family, friends, and community. Free masks are available. Visit ramseycounty.us slash a mask for everyone. This information guide is brought to you by Ramsey County and Ramsey County Investment and Support Efforts. Howdy, everyone. I'm Matt McNeil. Join me every weekday at 3 p.m. for the aptly titled Matt McNeil Show. Of course, we talk politics with a progressive slant. I talk about being a 50-year-old Army veteran with a wife and three kids living in Minnesota. And I also talk about goofy stuff, a lot of it. And we'd love to hear from you, too. Call us at 952-946-6205 or post on the Facebook Live feeds. And you can podcast the show at iTunes and am950radio.com. The Matt McNeil Show, 3 p.m. weekdays at AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Hazel's Northeast is back and offering some of the most creatively prepared comfort food you'll find. Delicious breakfast options include the slow-cooked brisket hash, chicken fried steak, and the famed drunken banana French toast. Or for lunch and dinner, there's Swedish meatballs, wild rice gumbo, and more. Hazel's Northeast is open Wednesdays through Saturdays 8 to 8 and Sundays 9 to 2. Hazel's Northeast delivers real good food. Family owned at 29th and Johnson in Minneapolis. Make your reservation now at hazelsne2go.com. Is it time to downsize but don't know where to start? Give the House Geeks with Bricks Real Estate a call. We are experienced in making this process as smooth and as easy as possible. Whether it is with pricing your home or assistance in finding movers or any other professionals that you might need to help get your home ready, we are here for you. Take the worry away and give us a call today at 651-303-0019. Again, that is 651-303-0019 or online anytime at housegeeks.com. Cafe Latte offers made-from-scratch soups, salads, sandwiches, and mouth-watering desserts. So come check out their pizza and wine bar, or get a treat from the bakery made fresh daily. Plus, you can still do online ordering and takeout, along with gift cards. Just go to CafeLatte.com and choose from their ever-changing selection of award-winning salads, sandwiches, and soups. Cafe Latte is located off Victoria and Grand and online at CafeLatte.com. Back for the final segment of FYI Politics with Brett Johnson. Just want to wrap up a few more thoughts on this report from the Minnesota Reformer on misconduct by the Minneapolis Police Department. I wasn't able to squeeze this in, but the files also reveal a disciplinary process so slow, so ineffective, and so feckless that it almost seems deliberate. This is from the Reformer. An officer was paid more than $290,000 to sit at home while the department engaged in a years-long effort to terminate him for two separate incidents. Isn't that the definition of union corruption that Republicans always go after? Certainly would seem to be the case to me. Now, when we talk about solutions for at least short-term solutions, very unlikely you're going to be able to abolish or defund the Minneapolis Police Department, especially after what we saw over the summer with all sorts of hoops you got to jump through and red tape to, to make that happen. But I think there are some ideas that could at least somewhat mitigate the misconduct we see. 
And one of them, I, I like this idea. Ellie, I believe, talked about this on her show on Monday with her guest is that I believe in St. Paul they might be talking about a pilot project where they could have an alternate 911 number where if you don't have an emergency that requires an officer to show up with force or with a gun, you can call this alternate number. Like let's say you're having some sort of – I don't know, maybe like a domestic disturbance incident where you might not necessarily need an armed officer there. Uh, they might be working on that in St. Paul. Or if I'm going back and remembering Ellie's show correctly, I think there's an organization that's pushing St. Paul to do that. Again, not an end-all solution, but at least could somewhat help because unfortunately I don't think there's any chance that the department itself is going to be defunded anytime soon given what we saw over the summer. But I have another idea for dealing with this too because one of the controversies we saw between the city of Minneapolis and the city council was proposed budget cuts to the police department. So I have another possible short-term idea if we can't necessarily defund the police department what if we keep the police budget the same but reduce the number of police officers? Therefore, you pay the police officers that will stay on the force more money, hopefully to incentivize them to be better cops where, I don't know, maybe you can have police officers compete with each other for jobs and hopefully you end up with better trained police officers that – could make more money but also have fewer armed officers. I don't know. I'm just throwing ideas out there because ultimately, as we saw, probably no chance whatsoever that we're ever going to see the Minneapolis Police Department defunded or disbanded anytime soon. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. I know we got a couple of phone calls on the line. We'll get to those in just a second. But I do want to briefly uh, touch on this update from Governor Tim Walls in regards to uh, COVID restrictions. So here's pretty much the gist of it. Uh, these new adjustments are going to begin this Saturday, December 19th. And and we'll start with elementary schools where the state has updated their safe e-learning plan so that starting January 18th, elementary schools can choose to operate in person as long as they can implement mitigation measures. So at least they will be uh, reducing uh, some of the requirements for in-person learning, at least for elementary students. Also, gym and fitness studios, they can reopen for individual exercise at 25% capacity or a maximum of 100 people. Obviously, masks are required, and I believe that goes into effect this Saturday, December 19th. For youth and adult sports, uh, practices can resume June 4th, or not June 4th, January 4th. Meanwhile, organized youth sports activities are no longer directly tied to county case data or school learning models. So youth sports are going to start up on January 4th. Talking about outdoor entertainment venues, they are going to be able to open at 25% capacity or 100 people, whichever number is lower. If food and drink are served, everyone must be seated. Such venues, including racetracks, paintball, perform or paintball performance venues, amusement parks, and mini golf places are included in outdoor entertainment venues. Not sure too many people are going to be playing mini golf in the middle of January or February, though. Indoor entertainment venues, thinking like uh, concert venues or movie theaters, they're going to remain closed at least through January 11th. Indoor social gatherings, they are not recommended, but people can gather with one other household, up to 10 people in total. Masking and social distancing are strongly encouraged. Uh, outdoor social gatherings, since they are less risky, they may be include or they can include up to three households with a maximum of 15 people starting this Saturday. Masking and social distancing is required. And then finally, bars, restaurants, and breweries, they are going to remain closed for indoor dining, but outdoor service can be offered at 50% capacity or up to 100 people except from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. Tables are limited to four people and must be six feet apart. Delivery, takeout, and drive-up service are still going to be allowed. So you might be sitting there thinking, well, who's going to do outdoor dining in the middle of winter? Well, there are a lot of restaurants, including our own Crooner Supper Club, that have put together some great measures that will allow you to stay warm and do outdoor dining. So even though it sounds counterintuitive to think, well, can I really dine outdoors? Well, there are a lot of these restaurants that have 
taken uh, measures to allow you to do so. And you will be able to do that starting on Saturday, at least for outdoor dining. But again, indoor dining is going to remain closed indefinitely. Hey, let's talk to Mark and Fridley, who's been hanging on the phone line for the last few minutes. Hey there, Mark, what are you thinking about today? Well, a couple of things. First, we need to remove defund the police from the vernacular, and it needs to be called uh, reform the police. Hmm. Anybody that's using defund the police, that's a trigger word. It's a psychological operation to create conflict. It should be reform the police. And this is not just a state or a local issue about law enforcement. And I just want to give people a heads up. Um, Yesterday, I got a press release from the Justice Department and uh, this is what it said. Um, Peter Nygaard, age 79, fashion executive from Canada, charged with sex trafficking and racketeering. Um, 79, charged with racketeering, sex trafficking, related crimes arising out of a decades-long pattern of criminal conduct involving at least dozens of victims in the United States, the Bahamas, and Canada, among other locations. So... Our problem with our law enforcement at the local level, and again, what you're experiencing here, and I'm glad you talked about it, PTSD is the new blue flu. If you're getting paid because you were traumatized, you know, during the George Floyd event, you you shouldn't be a law enforcement officer, and they're using that as an excuse to get an extended paid vacation and to jam up the Minneapolis Police Department. So PTSD is the new blue flu. But... Going back to this person, and again, people like Jeff Epstein and Dr. Larry Nasser, if you knew, if the Justice Department knew, as stated, that this guy had been committing these types of crimes for decades, why wasn't he arrested decades ago? And the Justice, Justice Department just cleared itself in the investigation of um, Jeff Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell because they admitted that they had been under investigation since 1998. And so if you're investigating, if you've got the criminal predicate, if you've got the documented evidence and you allow this to go on, you're part of the cover-up, you're part part of the crime. And quickly, I have a personal experience with ketamine, and it came during my June COVID heart-related Just a heads up here, Mark, we only got about 40 seconds left. Okay, here's what they told me about ketamine, and they dropped this bomb on me as I'm laying on the table surrounded by about 15 people in gowns who I didn't know who the hell they were. But they said, we're going to give you ketamine, and I said, wait a minute. And he said, you're going to be communicative, you're going to be able to answer our questions, but you're not going to be able to remember anything. So maybe we'll talk about that later, but we need to talk about that ketamine scopolamine, you know, these are very, very, very dangerous, abused, and misused by federal law enforcement. And if they can, if if you're allowed to admit a drug that can create a conscious, communicative answer questions and not be able to remember anything, that's pretty freaking dangerous. Absolutely, Mark. Uh, Thanks for the phone call, as always. Well, I'm just about out of time for my show today. We got Matt McNeil coming up next here on AM 950. Hi, I'm Alicia Luther Tom, certified financial planner with an all-woman team at RBC Wealth Management, making sure you and your loved ones can live comfortably in the future.